Hi there, this is the Untitled Chiru Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. If you're new around here, welcome. I am your host, Wanjiro, otherwise known as Jen. The Untitled Chiro is a podcast dedicated to highlighting and celebrating African women working across diverse career fields. I invite amazing African women to come on and share their individual experiences along their career journey. I try to understand their motivations behind their chosen field of study and subsequent career choices. Today's episode is for anyone that feels their career isn't taking a traditional linear path into retirement. As millennials, we are increasingly diversifying away from our area of training into new and sometimes uncharted territories. This journey is not necessarily clear-cut or straightforward, and I think this is something my guest can attest to. My guest today is Maureen Luanga. I was introduced to her through a mutual friend, and as soon as I heard a bit about her background, I immediately thought she'd be such an interesting guest to have on, and you'll see why as we get into our conversation. Maureen is a chartered accountant by training, but she's a lot more than that. She has worked across a number of industries and, as she puts it, has had multiple acts in her career. So, without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Maureen. Thanks, Jen, and hi to your audience. I'm really excited to be here today. So, Maureen, I want to start off by letting you introduce yourself, um, give you a chance to kind of give a bit about your background, um, and then we can get into it. Okay, very good. So um, I'm Maureen, as you mentioned, Um, I think I'll start a little bit before, usually I start quite quickly in my explaining who I am, probably around my career career and and, and sort of those type of things, but I think it probably makes sense to start at the beginning. So uh, I was born in South Africa in a small town called Mafeking. At that point in time, I think it was roughly like 50,000 people, so very tiny, Um, and then post primary school I went to Potterstrom Girls High so the northwest still Um, and I think that was a function of my parents thinking that there'd be more opportunity just in their mind just exposure would be higher and it was really influential in choosing helping me choose my career at least the first step of my career Um, and then from there I went to to UCT with the aspiration of being a chartered accountant I did my BCom accounting there and then went to Deloitte, where I spent three years doing my articles. It was an exciting time. Um, I really, for myself, obtained what I wanted to do, being the opportunity to engage thought leaders at a very senior level. Um, and that came my first, the end of my first act, if you can call it that. And I pivoted into mining, where I spent six years. I joined Anglo-American, and I was part of their leadership development program. It was also quite an exciting opportunity for me because every 18 months I was given the opportunity to move into a different function, move into a different geography. So I got to work in business improvements and then moved to Brazil to work in uh, government relations for 18 months before returning to, to South Africa to do business development at a managerial level for the platinum business. Um, here trying to find a way to increase our profitability. So I spent mm-hmm. there five years in, in Anglo-American. And then I moved to to Guinea, West Africa, where I spent one year. And um, for me, what I was more trying to achieve through this exposure is once you have worked in a very structured environment or very structured industry, call it Anglo-American, where there's a lot of guardrails, a lot of nets to catch if you fall. The Wild West was like going into West Africa, the deep of the depths of the, call it 
with the jungle, if you can say that, and trying to yeah. make a way to create a mind that's um, operating, that is going to be world-class, that's going to be successful, predominantly because talent doesn't necessarily move to those areas. Um, they find the, the drain is to more developed countries. Um, and so I thought, mm. why not try uh, move to West Africa? And the, 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 the good thing is I got a, quite a senior role, so I managed to head off the department quite young, um, doing the project management office and so creating standards. And that took me till the end of 2018. In 2019, since I had been working for, call it 10 years plus, I thought this is a good time to pause, reflect, the time for my next act. So after mining, <laughs> let's, let's see what this this play of my life could evolve into. Um, went to business school, spent a year in, in France um, at NCAD and I, in that opportunity, I managed to consolidate some of the concepts that I learned, um, call it informally on the job. And now I wanted to just have the formal education to back that. And that created then this new um, opportunity that I'm exposed to now. So post-business school, I, I, it timed out not so great with the world. So I finished end of 2019 and just in time for the pandemic. <laughs> so yeah. that pushed me to be a little bit more bold because the market was closing down. The economies were generally not as robust in terms of trying to employ people. So I thought, let me back myself. And I started my own consulting company. As you can see, I'm still a chartered accountant. So it wasn't innovative. I call it ML Consultings. Just took my initials to go away over <laughs> trying to be creative. I thought, oh, maybe because you can get lost in trying to find a brand. And I thought, well, let's keep it simple. Let's use my initials. And that was exciting. I worked with SMMEs, so small, medium, micro enterprises. I first started with mm. a group of people that were in, um, call it service industry, so consultants, advisory, accountants, tax, helping them also try to find a way to win in the pandemic. What was good is that there wasn't a shortage of problems last year. There was a lot of people that had a lot of problems they wanted to solve. I think what the shortage was of people being available to solve these problems as well as capital. So there wasn't a lot of money in the economy, but I was willing to do a few things pro bono in order to get my name out there and word of yeah. mouth got out. And from there, I went from the these consulting school at SMEs to working with some bakeries, some people in tech, so dev tech developing as well as IoT, so internet of things and helping them think of how to create a alternative revenue streams, especially as their bigger clients were defaulting on payments. How do you continue to operate? And then I also worked with a NGO called Women in Mining, also leveraging some of my contacts and saying, how can we still as a, a platform that's important to try and create this voice for women, especially as last year it hit a lot of the can I say that adversely impacted the women population because they were mothers and they found themselves trying to step out of the workforce to try and juggle out of balls. And they felt that they needed to come in strong to say, no, you can still find alternative ways to win. So reshaping their, their strategy and their communication so it can land correctly. So that took yeah. 10 months. And then, like you said, I met my our mutual friend. Um, what's interesting mm -hmm. about careers is that sometimes they diverge and then sometimes they somehow connect so he yeah. reached out to me perhaps we were moving in the same space and we had similar clients and I then started joining him on this lug home consulting journey and ideas since we have the same aspirations why not join forces 
also for me it just reduces the the risk of trying to find a pipeline of clients by myself if you have many hits right. it makes it easier and in parallel I've also then did some work in the mobility industry so it started off as an internship from business school um, I worked with Uber in South Africa and growing and launching into a sixth city I quite liked that and then I this year started working with them um, again now trying to look at risks and how to make their business or de-risk their business based on the current environment so I guess it's a long journey to your question about tell you about yourself but it's just to say that I've, had, <laughs> I've reinvented myself a few yeah. times along the way initially starting out as a chartered accountant that was the right move and I completely am grateful for that journey then moving to Act 2, which was in the mining industry, which was a little bit more operations, getting my hands dirty, sort of implementing some of the things that maybe in accounting you're more strategizing, main consulting, you're less um, operationalizing. And then, yeah. um, then we have now, which is slightly mobility, and it's also slightly um, still doing advisory on, on the ways to help Epsom and Ease win. So it's a it's an interesting journey i've quite enjoyed it um but yes i think to your point um careers these days have evolved and it's not as linear as our parents would have hoped for us to have done yeah i mean what you just you know summarized in terms of your background is exactly why i wanted to have you on as a guest you know it's it's important for people to understand that in trying to understand what they're eventual destination will be, say, at retirement, that you don't have to walk this singular path, um, that there's so much to explore and that your skill sets can be used across um, multiple industries, um, which is something I think you've experienced. You know, you can leverage the skill sets that you learned um, during your CA days into all these other industries. Um, <clears throat> so I, I just want to kind of take it back, if, if, if I can, um, to kind of get your sort of mindset when you were a teenager, I always like to kind of start to kind of get an understanding of what people were thinking, you know, as a teenager, you know, you kind of have this grand idea of I'm going to be, you know, in your case, an accountant, um, uh, kind of what motivated that, what led you into that space? What, what was your thinking around that um, initially when you were getting into varsity? Okay. So if I have to reflect on my early days, um, I first want to to contrast that there's, I think there's two types of people and how they approach their journey to selecting a career. And the best contrast I have is a friend of mine, um, her name was Katie. And the great thing about Katie is when I met her in grade eight, um, equivalent to like 13 years of age, she joined Girls High and she always knew that her vocational, her calling in life was to be this teacher. And every time we had these conversations, like, what do you want to do? I would always um and R through the conversation, almost buying myself time, but also not sure myself. It was just an uncomfortable topic. And she always mm. wanted to be a teacher. And, and she went to become on to study university education. And she's currently a teacher and she's thriving. She's happy. If you ask her, it's, it's super fulfilling. And that's the one type of person. I think I'm the other spectrum where I got into high school and it was one of those, let's see what this can bring for us. You know, it's another step into this, this play called life. And I will then find out along the way. I think the first trigger point was when I had to choose subjects in, in grade 10. Yeah. And I, I had then, because I was in boarding school, I didn't have a lot of my family and neighbors and community around me, but I had 
developed a close enough relationship with some teachers on the staff where they said, you know what, your math is pretty good, your accounting is pretty good, you know, why don't you consider that? I think at that point in time, I never thought that these decisions would be like, you know, pivotal in my whole career. I kind of took that on. And then when grade 11 came, I think that's when the penny dropped that actually I have to to make a call. And so I think I acknowledge at this point in time that since I didn't have the KT um, scenario, I had to build that awareness for myself. So I reached out, at least we were fortunate that I had this guidance counselor. And back then they used to have these career days and they'd have these books mm-hmm. that the University of Pretoria would drop. And at that point they had also Potsdam University and they would explain when they would have fairs. So guidance counselor took a photocopy, highlighted the days and said, you know, this is what I think careers look like. What was also very nice is back then she made me do one of those aptitude tests, which for me still didn't answer the question. I think at that point in time, I was still trying to, as you do as a child, you're just hoping that an adult will tell you what the plan is and and you take the plan. (laughs) You're like, I don't have time for the stress and your whole life has to be decided in two months kind of feels stressful. But I took those brochures and I went to the career fair with my mom. Um, Back then, there were people bidding for World Cup and we had won the World Cup. So they were like, come to tourism. So I would read up about that. And I realized not quite exciting. I went to the medical sphere, the the career little tent. I read up on that, less exciting. But then I went to the one tent where that had a lady who was speaking and and she was at school about her journey as a chartered accountant. And something about Mm -hmm. the way she shared her journey that resonated with who I am that made me then investigate more. So I don't know if it has a part to be about there was the first time I'd seen a woman in this whole career um, center that was talking about this or the fact that I just needed somebody that could resonate with something that I could do. And I think once she said the certain words and it landed with me, I did research. It made sense. Um, she had said that it was an opportunity quite early on in your age to engage CEOs, engage CFRs, learn about a company quite quickly, and then leave. And that was me like, mm-hmm. okay, that's exciting. Sounds fair enough. I did my research, sounded about right. And I went into a chartered accounting space. So I think the two things is that I want to say is that if you don't have the Katie view, and Katie's my friend today, she's still doing the teaching thing and she loves it. And I have done many things since the CA thing, (laughs) but it's every time I have made a choice or a change in act, um, I have then tried to inform it through being curious, taking the driver's seat, learning a lot about the subject, and then having peace. Like at the end of the day, you can only make the best decision with the information you have. So make sure you have the most information and then make that decision. And of course, when you have more information, you realize the previous decision does not hold to be true or does not bring you the joy that you want to then I make the next right decision. So I've managed to see my career as a succession of decisions where I've at each point in time tried to make the best decision based on the based on the information I had. And fortunately, it's worked out for my benefit. I think I've always been learning. I've always been growing. I've stretched myself. If I look back, I also, you know, I'm surprised by how much I've achieved, um, how much I've grown. Um, and so I wouldn't have had it any other way. But yeah, I think... That first step of knowing that there's a gap of course what I did and what Katie did is completely different she was like knew it and then went to apply I had a whole lever arc file of all the things that I couldn't couldn't do based on interests based on talking to 
staff, basically talking to friends, just talking to parents. Of course, my parents had own aspirations. My dad had hoped I'd pursue doctor. I didn't quite like that. Yeah, as they do, right? They just want to make sure you're not a burden on them. And they need to tell (laughs) something about whatever their offspring is doing. So they were like, just don't embarrass us. (laughs) You do what you can, but like within the spectrum of great. So I think what I've been great, what has been good is that every time I've learned something, I've also tried to, you know, share it with them quite quickly so that they're not taken aback um, and not surprised. Yeah. Now, you spent quite a bit of time um, in the accounting world. I think you mentioned about seven years. What was that experience within CA world? And why did you decide to branch out and explore other other industries? Okay. So I'd say it's part and part of the CA qualification, if I can highlight to your listeners, it's three years undergrads, one year postgrad, which is perhaps the honors. So that crowd that gets the four and then three years articles. So you're equivalent to doing a medical field because you do seven years continuously in order to get the qualification. And that's how I, I count the seven, but three years was really uh, working and in industry. But when I started the journey, I think I was I was more curious about learning. I don't, um, I think to be honest, I had already had signed something with Anglo-American. They had paid for my university, so they were a potential sponsor. But if I wanted to exit, Deloitte always gave me this opportunity to then have Anglo um, fall away and then Deloitte obtain that liability. So it also was something that played a part in the decision-making. But nonetheless, whilst I was working, what I, I think what was for me exciting about the job was it was true to what Joanne had said, uh, Joanne being the lady that spro- spoke about it at the career fair, that I did move into speaking to CEOs, that I did move into speaking CFOs. I quite quickly went from being university, somebody who was little to, to listen to, to little Wayne, to all of a sudden trying to speak about <laughs> profit and loss to somebody who was like double my age and didn't have any form of like, you know, final jokes to it. So I quite quickly learned some of the good things about how to be a professional, how to arrive on time, how to use these business lingo so that it lands correctly and delivers the message correctly. What I think was challenging for me was you you go through this, you learn the business quite quickly, you provide a recommendation, you show them what the, the financials look like, and then you disappear. So I was always curious about what happened? You know, did they take my findings yeah. on? Did they implement it? Did they not? Was what I said even taken on board? And also by the nature of accountants or auditors, is I always ran a parallel to having a party. And if there's a people who are organizing the party, it's the FMs and the CEOs and stuff. And then the party arrives and everybody happens and they at this event. And then the auditors come across the next day and they look at the damage and be like, okay, there's a couple of pizza boxes here. And there's like broken panister here and there's some Coke cans there. So we know that there was party and this is what it looks like. So you come always after mm-hmm. the fact, almost like a post-mortem. And I wanted to be part of the either join the party or organize the party. That's how I could see okay. myself. This thing about coming in to sweep and clean was less glamorous <laughs> for me. Um, so that became natural. I think having gone through that exposure, I now knew what the CA thing was and I wanted to transition to being the first two buckets, like either plan or attend. But this thing about always being at the end was less helpful for me. And I know that there's a lot of CEOs who have gone to FM and et cetera. Just my, my skill sets, my interests 
forced me to be the first two buckets. So at the end of my three years, mm-hmm. when Anglo-Americans said you can either, or the, the fork in the road was I can either stay in Deloitte and uh, do more of the same, except at a higher level, or I can move to Anglo-American where I'll be in operations. I will be in implementation. I will be getting my hands dirty. I'll be at the party, planning the party, all of these things. That became exciting for me. It felt like the next level um, that it aligns to my interest. And so I went in that route as a function of, of just it aligning to the desires I had at that point in time, especially as the gap felt like I was never really sure um, how much of my recommendations were implemented, how much. Those were things that were keeping me up at night. Yeah. And, and how much of your journey so far has been sort of a maybe I don't know if I should call it a conscious decision or like how how have you come to land into the different roles has it been more you trying to just explore a new area and trying to see you know if this is something that will interest you or has it been like a meaningful journey of you know doing detailed research um, finding out about what you can potentially learn and saying okay I'm making you know these choices to get into. I'm going to learn these skill sets and try get into this space. Or you know, I'm trying to understand how you've moved now into the different um, spaces that you've you've occupied, the different industries, should I say, rather. Okay, so if I can try and think of the the levers I used or the things that have caused me to then consider moving, I think one I've always been a student of life. So if not like now. Um, learning through going to MBAs or formal informal learning through the clients and understanding what the world is doing. I do this learning and it's always going to happen at the back end because I'm just curious about how things work. But then too, I always question myself if what I'm currently doing at work still adds value and still makes sense, not only to the client, but to the world. I think I've also yeah. recognized that the world is changing so much, so fast that I have to be I still have to maintain my competitive advantage. So if the job I did today were to fall through, would somebody else still employ me? Would they see my suite of skills as still employable? And where I see there's a gap, perhaps, and perhaps it's just my own view that maybe there's a way to stretch myself more, that then stimulates me thinking about how to fill the gap. So um, when I left to go, when I left Anglo to go to Guinea, for example, it was because I knew in Anglo, it's a very structured organization. There's a lot of checks and balances. It's very difficult for you to fail. It's almost fail safe. That I said, how much do I really know? And going into Guinea was really testing my my whole cognitive ability, my knowledge set as being a mining practitioner, as being a CA. And I wanted to know for myself if I did have it. So that opportunity became exciting, even though it was in a remote area, even though I'd never been into this country before, even though yeah. I'd never performed at that level, you know? So it yeah. was just an opportunity that would tick the boxes the way I was going to say, could I add value? Would I still be relevant? What would this bring for me? Um, and through that, I kept on, um, I think that's what's framed my next steps. Even now when I moved from MBA to this consulting firm, it was, I guess, constantly checking that the skill sets that I'm acquiring are relevant. And then is there a way to prove that they're still relevant? And if there isn't, I mean, if there is, then how does that look like? I think what's helped me is that I've been industry agnostic. So it hasn't been like I'm loyal to any industry. I'm more loyal to the skill set that will come with that opportunity. 
So if it's um, oil and gas or mining or mobility, or even if it ends up being pharma or retail, if the skill set is what I'm looking for and I have a transferable skill, so that will become the reason why everybody else has accepted or has responded well to me knocking on their doors. It's not as if I come and I say, hey, I'm trying to learn. I come and I say, this is your problem. I think I can bring one, two, and three. I've done this before. It looked like this in this problem. This problem is just a placeholder for your problem, which is why. Uh, and the conversation then starts demonstrating to the next people that I can perform and can resolve um, those types of, of issues. Um, so I think yeah. it's for me, it's always been like, one, to constantly learn. To, to always evaluate that I have this level of relevance. And if I'm comfortable, then that's okay. But I also think I thrive in discomfort. So if I'm too comfortable, I'll be like, okay, how can I change it up? <laughs> and then three is, is three is then just testing with the world. Like, okay, what else is out there? Who else can I talk yeah. to? Uh, and then having those network of people that A, will respond or two, just making sure that you're, you're reaching out frequently enough to test. Yeah. Yeah. So you've mentioned now um, the MBA program that you did. Um, uh, could you speak a little bit about what you um, what you were doing, like what the MBA was focused on? I mean, is it just a general program? Why you chose to be at NCAD and kind of your takeaway from that experience? Um, did you do it full time? Yes. So it was a full time um, MBA I think one of my appealing factors was if I was going to do this, I wanted to fully immerse myself into the opportunity um, because I had tried before uh, at work doing part-time courses. I just felt that it, I didn't get the much value um, as I would from a, a full-time, so it felt natural for me to, to pursue that. And it is a general MBA, so it's one year, it's quite fast-paced, and it breaks it into separate blocks. So the first block, um, call it the first two periods or four months, you're learning the general things of how to run a business, uh, finance, strategy, um, stats, all of the core skill sets that need to be embedded in um, a great general manager, call it that. And what I liked about INSEAD is that they have, I guess, the idea that you're going to have a working group that you will then use as your college your management team that you will then have to engage and try to solve the problem whatever the case will be presented to you by the different lecturers so it gives you a, a minor simulation of what it looks like to work in a boardroom different personalities um NCAD is prided by having um, a diverse set of nationalities I think in my year there were 69 different nationalities in the class so you start learning a lot about not only how people engage, but how you respond to different engagement styles, right. which I think is very important as you become a leader, unless you're aware of your blind spots, how you respond, how you react, um, and people telling you this quite um, frequently, um, you, you can't rectify that. So that was a, the first part that I quite liked about INSEAD in the first block. And then the second block, or call it period three, four, five, you then get to um, customize your MBA. So you double down on the things that you want to learn. So I then double down on negotiations and uh, looking at strategy, looking at, um, at this point in time, I was also trying to learn the softer skills to management. So I think the CA mm -hmm. had taught me that I'm competent with the quantitative bits. It was for me more specific about how do we do the tactical bits, you know? And so I, I then enrolled in classes that would 
flesh that out more. And then that's the structured program. Um, the, uh, the bits that underlie it are things like you have coaches. So you have a constant personal coach who comes to you and asks you, you know, how are you engaging with the material? How are you engaging with your group? Tell me about your story. What is this? How have you um, progressed your story? And I think it was the first time I was actually becoming conscious of my decisions. I think you get so caught up. There comes a point in time when life just gets busy that you're just making decision after decision after decision. You perhaps don't have a time to reflect. So the MBA gave me that opportunity where somebody forced me in a room. And it's weird. It's like those teen times when you're on TV and you see them on a couch and you're like, what must happen? Like, I don't want to. Yeah. How far must I go? Like, I don't exactly want to open my heart out. I also only have 15 minutes of a slot, so can't really just <laughs> have me. But it was still quite helpful, at least having those mental models so that now I know how to check in with myself uh, and evaluate mm. what are the things I'm doing? How am I feeling? Um, and I think we do that not particularly well as Africans. I don't know if we just pride in ourselves and being strong and sometimes to an extent that it's detrimental because we are not aware of certain things that we're going through and we just take a check and say, okay, I feel discomfort in this situation. Generally, I'd push past it, but now it's I'm starting to ask questions what about the situation is causing me to be uncomfortable. You know, could I change yeah. it? And that awareness then helps you to move past it faster than suppressing um, it's not, and not like everything is traumatic. I just think there's small things to be conscious about. And um, we might not do it particularly well. Uh, I found mm. on the continent, we just suppress and run. And maybe because there's so many burning fires. So you get a career yeah. coach and then you get a personal coach, which is what I spoke about. And the career coach then does the same things for your career. And that was somebody who helped me then craft out what success looks like, um, which was for me interesting because she starts unpacking that perhaps for me, I've been uh, mirroring, using people who mirror success and or trying to mirror people's success, but it doesn't work on a model that is effective for me. And maybe that speaks to like, there not being too much representation. So you start saying, who's your definition of success? Oh, maybe it's uh, Steve Jobs or Elon right. Musk or Jeff Bezos, but then I could never be that person in terms of personality. I would probably be more kind or kindled spirit like if I can call it that and they're more like take it or leave it and and so when the career coach unpacks it if that's not my engagement style maybe I should start finding who is successful in my definitions and Mm -hmm. and try to capture those nuggets um so that was also another quite a vital part of of the business school journey but yeah, yeah so it was all in all a very intense one year it's like a lot of modules that first bit is structured the second bit you get to cater and sort of customize to whatever you want to learn and all the while underpinned by a lot of i call it quote-unquote therapy like different learning coaches (laughs) different uh, people coming in asking questions and just generally being interested in you and i thought it was um, refreshing to have for the first time myself be the center of attention in my own life usually i am on the peripheral and 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 trying to to survive and here people are like let's just make sure that you can thrive um, which was a nice mix to it yeah so you've talked about working um across such very different industries um i think they're all very sort of different industries and you've managed to make your way up and work in some senior positions i wonder what's been your experience in terms of 
sort of this hot topic discussion that kind of creeps up a lot these days, and especially in corporate spaces around, you know, representation and diversity. So what's been your experience sort of working across different countries, even outside the continent, um, perhaps also on, on this continent, particularly in sort of a South African context as well? Okay. So if I'm understanding correctly, just my take on how diversity has been during these different uh, acts in my life. So I think if I start, I will say in the junior areas of my life, or so when I started at articles or in my training field, it was less of a shock, you know, because maybe because the nature is at the bottom of the period, it's pretty diverse. So the training program needs to accept X amount. Uh, they have no problem, you know, making sure at that point that they have the filters so that it, it has a good representation of the population it works in. So I didn't feel that it was too off spec in terms of a diversity, but yeah, I, I felt okay. I think once I've started to progress in my career, somehow the area gets thinner. So it starts you start realizing in a in a boardroom, there's perhaps less diversity and perhaps less views. Um, and I think what this does for me mentally is there are times when when I do have to engage where I feel like there's either uh, a double falter, like if I had to say something how different people would be perceiving it and therefore I need to work twice as hard as making sure that the words I say land well because I don't want it to offend the next person and also it's sometimes the reverse is true right sometimes you have people who will speak openly and because they are unaware of how their words are impacting you um, I also have to then for myself, try and, and clarify, like, okay, this is not particularly intended to offend. They just don't have this knowledge. Um, and so what I think is also happening to your point that diversity has become, I think it's the only way that companies can really compete these days uh, because mm-hmm. problems are so complex. And um, I, I put a, a metaphor to having a CEO who has, Call it your marketing, your strategy, your ops, your finance, just a different suite of skills. And if they know for one problem they need to have this different suite of skills, how much more do they need to have different people, you know, if the different genders, races come in because they bring a different paradigm and perspective into solving the problem. And the more diverse the, the audience is, the better the solution is. And I think companies are feeling the pressure of, of getting that mm-hmm. diversity in. And I do believe that more is getting done um, in this day and age. So I think right now it's becoming a little bit more easier to try and um, to voice, I guess, is the thing, like to try and voice these platforms that maybe they need to do one, two, three. I think what's good is that the companies themselves are, are starting the conversation. I think I'm just making it incumbent upon myself to participate. You know, it's not going to help if they're saying uh, we have these forums, we have these women groups, or we have this ERG that's going to support black people, trying to leverage those groups and to include my voice so that it will then result in an optimum solution for the next generation, recognizing in in this instance, in this current environment, I may not be able to change it significantly for myself, but recognizing for the next generation, I can change it. Um, and so I think it's it's becoming easier, but of course it's not where it is. I think there are days when it feels like it's much heavier. Like sometimes mm. I do walk into work and it feels like I have to carry the whole of the ancestors on my back 
because somebody <laughs> will ask me a loaded question and say like, you know, we're having, um, what was that? There was something that was, oh, Black History Month. And like, what, what do you think we should celebrate? I'm like, yeah, but it's kind of, it's just kind of broad, right? <laughs> How must I go and take on, you know? But I, I have to also take it in the spirit because in the absentia of that, there may not have been a celebration. So right. it's to create go through the motions, do the activity, but then come back and educate and say, you know, guys, when you ask me that, it's like saying, imagine if it was White History Month, then I said, please celebrate. How would you even start? Like, it's, it's too broad and it also puts the emphasis on the wrong person. The person who should be celebrated right. is now being the person who's having to carry out the celebration, which isn't counterintuitive. Right. Imagine it's, okay, some days, sometimes we do plan our own birthdays, but if it was to be planned my own my birthday all the time, it wouldn't be fun. Um, no, I can't, yeah. So it's creating those education pieces and, and creating an environment where it's not hostile. So I always come from the point of view that assume that they are, are just uh, get ignorant towards the topic. Of course, there's sometimes this fatigue because how many times do you have to reiterate a topic? But I think right. I always try and, and have a little more patience, a little more time for the next person so that maybe it will land well um and of course if it's especially if it's a, a different individual if it's a repeat encounter i guess then your fatigue and frustrations can be elevated so it's communicated accordingly but yeah i i think it's harder especially um once you're the only voice so i think there were times in mining where i was the only um diversity in the room both gender and color and, and it, it really does um, for me, it weighs heavier. Maybe the audience is unaware until I do speak. And then I think I can acknowledge some discomfort or movement in their chairs. And I think it's just them recognizing that the voice doesn't quite sound like what they thought it would be. Or, right. um, But I, I think it's still progress. Um, we got to take it where we can. Uh, and, and I think it's unfortunate that uh, there's still a long way to go, but not to shy away, mm-hmm. not to shy away from that journey because... I always think somebody had to be uncomfortable to make sure I'm in the room right now. So if I have to take some discomfort to make sure there are two more in the room tomorrow, then I guess it's, it's the mantle I carry. It's the the price I pay, but I take it um, in good spirit because alternatively my, my career would not be as, as, as it is today, because I think there was a lot of people who had done great work, uh, making sure that I could then feature um, as I do today. You've had quite an interesting journey up into this point. If you could just reflect back for a bit and think about, you know, some of the key lessons that you have learned up until this point that perhaps you can take with you as you, you know, continue on into perhaps your next act um, and your next, you know, sort of stages in life, um, your career life, you know, what what would be some of those lessons? Okay, so... My first lesson that I think has held me in good stead was always add value. And here, it's of course, it's do a good job. And I'm a proponent of do the job that you expected to do and do it good. But then there's these mm-hmm. other things that arrive at your desk. And sometimes people are quick to say, oh, that's not in my spec. Like, let's say a director arrives, your boss is running frantically. He's like, can you make tea? This guy needs to. And you're like, ah, where's the tea lady? Like, you know, it's going to take a while to mobilize her from whichever floor she is you know just recognizing it in this space he needs me to be this 
person to add this value and, and being that lady or sometimes going into me- meetings and realizing they need someone to take me minutes or do actions. And why I'm giving these examples, because people always try and approach the glamorous things and try add value mm-hmm. there. But don't forget that relationships are built on the small things. And if they can trust you on a re- fulfilling a need just to bring tea or take minutes or follow up on actions or organize a visit, then they'll trust you with more. You know, I think people think that once I do the complex, hard things, people will be like, okay, now I can give you this massive project. I think it's earned over time. And if you do the small thing and if you're faithful with the small things, people will be like, okay, she did well with that. Why can't I trust her with this? You know, and you, you start being positioned better. So I always say add value, even if it's the stuff that humbles you, be humble and, and do that. Right. Yeah. The second bit I think has helped me well is always be curious, you know, like learn, go and talk to different people. Um, I found last year, which was very exciting, is everybody was like locked indoors. Well, the sad part is we had COVID, but people were more accessible than not. I saw these things on LinkedIn where people were saying, I'm opening my diary, you know, do a coffee chat with me if you want to put some time right. in and, and reach out. So this thing about be curious, ask people what they're doing, find out what they're worried about, find out about their problem sets. You'll firstly be surprised at how much they're willing to share. Chances are you're the first one to ask them this and they'd be excited to just offload until you'll learn so much about a day in a life of this person because sometimes Mm -hmm. the day in their life sparks something in you that you're curious about, that you'll be like, okay, I would actually want to find out more about that. And finding those moments where I could get that exposure also shaped my career because now I start realizing, oh, that's actually a good thing I want to do one day, but I don't have that skill set. So how do I get the gap? How do I fill the gap? Um, and the, the if we're going to add value and always, I think the last bit would be just to, to just, I guess, like try, like don't, once you have all these things conceptualized, not implement. Um, um, try, if it's such a small scale, I think sometimes we might be worried to try do something bold so let's say if you're not if you realize the job you want to do is do has has a lot of public speaking involved and you're nervous about public speaking find a low-key environment where you can fail so maybe speak (laughs) at a i don't know church type of thing or a sports event or something where you know whatever happens if they don't like the way you deliver the message they can't do anything to your job and like build the momentum slowly there because I think what people think is that they'll arrive and then they'll say, oh, my goodness, Maureen, we're looking for a CEO. Can you rise to the challenge? And I'm going to be like, yes, here's my skill set and try it out. <laughs> you constantly have to demonstrate small bits that you can do it. And I think what somebody taught me, which was very important, is the best way to get a promotion is to promote, is to perform at that level. So right. you first got to right. be performing there. That they would be like, that obviously makes sense that she must be the next person. Whereas right. I think people are thinking like I'm performing at call it CEO minus one or whichever level I am. So subpar and they're hoping they'll get this opportunity and they'll say like, could you rise up? And then you rise up. And also when you do rise up, you need to back it up. So try and get your, if it's not on the job, other ways to, to back it up. So that when you, when it does come, you're ready. Um, so yeah, I think that'd be it. Like always add value learn as much as you can and perform at the level that you want to be at um, so that you at least have the capabilities that when it arrives, you're already there. If I maybe could just um, 
get you to give some specific advice to others who are looking to sort of develop and establish their careers. Um, what what advice would you impart to um, them, especially young young African females, um, you know, looking to work on the continent? You've worked, you know, um, across different regions on the continent. Um, what what would what advice would you give to them? So, if I were to to reverse and be in their shoes and say, how do you start again? I think my my first takeaway is. Um, okay, in addition to the to the research bits is I guess don't don't think that you need to figure it all out now. Um, mm. otherwise it, it does get overwhelming. If you try and if you know that the decision you're going to make today is just going to serve you until the next decision and the next decision, who knows when it will be, but it can be altered. I think you get less anxiety. I think what caused me to have anxiety in the beginning when I was doing my search was I thought that this had to be the decision until I retire. You know, I have yeah. to for 50 years work as this person. And what I find is more helpful is to say, well, I've done the best I can in terms of research and I've talked to as much people as I could in terms of engagements and having research and engagements. I think this makes sense. And then mm. when you're in the decision, of course, when you go to university and you study that, don't be afraid to constantly check and say, did I want to do this? This isn't giving me what I want to do. Um, I also think there's a, a, I don't know if it's like a natural tendency for us to pick up our hands um, later when we admit that it's not going our way. Like, Don't wait until 10 years later and say, you know, I knew since first year I needed this career like why why are we nine years later talking about this there is no shame if if you do something and you pick on the facts having done your research and your and your engagements and moving into that space and then if after a year you realize it's not serving you don't make it worse by staying put um I think it's okay to say okay this doesn't serve me because I firmly believe that everything happens for a reason. And even if you just did it for one or two years, there's a lot of information that you learn that will develop you as a personal, as a person and your skill sets will be much sharper for that experience. Mm -hmm. But you don't need to go and repeat it for 10 more years in order to consolidate that you don't like it, you know? So I think that would be one thing, like the next thing. So one, make a decision. It won't be forever. It doesn't have to be framed forever. And two, if you make a decision and find out later that it's not the one you want, um, I'm a big believer that it's okay to say, this is not what I wanted. I'd like to pivot. Um, because at the end of the day, it's a lot of time to spend at work. Um, sometimes you're spending eight upward of 10 hours in a space in one day. And you really want to make sure that what you're doing, you really love it. And so the yeah. only way you can do that is that if you constantly honest with yourself and if today it's not really making sense then yes say it's not making sense and then make a plan to pivot you know you don't have to completely drop out and return to your parents couch or start again like you can still change it slowly <laughs> whilst you're in whilst you're moving forward um and i think if you do those two um you'll probably surprise yourself and also number three is like people are doing this with you so don't think you're the only one. I think maybe as women, I don't know why, but we tend to feel that our pain is our load only and no one is facing it. 
Um, yeah. The more you talk, I found when I talk to friends and family, I'd be like, oh, guys, you know, work so hard. I don't know if I'm feeling this. Yeah. If you're the one to start, you'll find out everybody, me too. Yeah. <laughs> you're exactly. like, why were you lying on Facebook when Instagram posting your best <laughs> lives as I was suffering here? <laughs> this is the society we're part of. <laughs> no one, everybody feels they need to put their best face forward. They need to like pretend they have it all together. And it's okay sometimes to just be like, oh, it just doesn't make sense, guys, you know, and have that honest mm. conversation, rejuvenate yourself. You'll find a lot of people energize you. At the very least, you'll have somebody saying, but you do this effortlessly. And even though you think that this is a stumbling block, look at the things you do well, one to eight. And that could help your paradigm shift. You say like, actually, yeah, this thing that has been paining me, this one, it's only one out of 10 things. I've got the 90% right, you know? Right. Um, I find that once you start opening up a bit more with people that you trust and of course who who have valid data to give you this feedback, um, it becomes less overwhelming. So yeah, I think that would be my 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 take on it that one, don't don't think it's the full road that you make a decision. Two, if you need to pivot, pivot. And three, just share more. I think when you do that constantly, um, you'll sleep night better at night. I find I sleep better yeah. at night. Um, otherwise when you're keeping up at night, maybe there's something <laughs> that needs to be realigned yes. in this thing called life and yeah, rather realign it sooner than later. Maureen, it's been such, such a pleasure to have you on. Um, such a wealth of, of knowledge and um, yeah, thanks for your time. And thank you and, and to your listeners, like the very best. Um, I also want to say that I don't have it figured out altogether. So I'm still going to be on this road of finding out my career so they can at least know there's one other person with them. And yeah, all the best to them. It's an amazing journey once you start it. And uh, I wish them like as much fruitfulness and growth as they were willing to grab. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of The Untitled Shiro. As always, I'd love to hear from you. You can check out The Untitled Shiro on Instagram at The Untitled Shiro and on Twitter at Untitled Shiro. And remember to subscribe to and rate this podcast available in all major podcast platforms. Until next time, take care.